all of those suppressed emotions, those areas of constriction, right? As evidence, I think, by a lot of us having our shoulders up to our ears, all this tension is yeah. sending signals that is going to impact the way our mind is interpreting, constructing, and creating the outcomes or essentially the choices that we're making each other. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks, come from a different cloth, y'all would get ripped apart. You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark. We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to Rucker Park. Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate. I put my eggs in the basket, took a leap of faith. I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact. Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring Welcome everyone to an all new episode of the Decoding Success Podcast. You are tuned in with your host, Matt Labrie, and today we have a returning guest, an individual that's truly made an impression and impact in my own life, as well as, I believe it's safe to say, millions of people around the world. Today we are joined for the second time by Dr. Nicola Perra, the holistic psychologist, and I can sit here and rattle off all of the accomplishments. New York Times bestselling author, entrepreneur, creator, community founder, the list goes on. All of the accolades are great, but Dr. Nicole is so much more than that. She is an individual that moves mountains. She is a new age healer for the masses. And today, she steps back into the studio to impact and help us heal here at Decoding Success. Now, in this episode, we are diving into a conversation of how to reconnect to ourselves, how to come home to ourselves, and how to embody all aspects of ourselves in order to love endlessly. A few of my favorite takeaways from this episode are the signs that we are avoiding discomfort by achieving and how to shift our identity or conditioning away from that, how to create heart change as opposed to just head change when working on ourselves internally, emotionally, and mentally, how our body is showing us where our healing is to begin, how to create safety in our relationships. By the way, this was so freaking good. And so much more. Now, now you already know what I'm about to prompt you with. If you are a returning member of our community, you know what is coming up next. If you're new here, we want to welcome you. But here's the prompt. You are here with us today for a reason. You could be anywhere else doing anything else. Embrace that as a sign, as this is where you need to be. And I call on you to invite someone in your life to be here with us as well. Shoot this episode over to them in your text your group chats, or even on your Instagram story, bottom line, open the door for them the same way the door was open for you to hear this conversation and heal with the words of Dr. Nicole. And now without further ado, we welcome for round two, Dr. Nicole LaPera. Dr. Nicole, what's up? Hello, hello. How are you? How you doing? I'm good. good. How about yourself? Good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. It's been a hot minute since we've done this. I think it's been three years. Um, that, you have any I questions? I was trying to figure out with Furcon how long it has been, and it eluded both of us. Three years, huh? It's crazy. No, no questions. I'm super excited and honored to be back. Thank you, Matt. And I do have Furcon here with me, so if you need anything cool. shifted or changed audio, visually, no, no, no. let us know. You look great. You look great. I'm already recording. I keep this super casual. Um, in fact, I, I, I already asked you our first question, which is how are you? But I'll re-ask that question. <laughs> um, how are you really is how I will preface that. I appreciate it. I'm actually really, I'm in a moment, many moments, I think, where mm. after having gone really hard in terms of promoting the book, meeting the community, having conversations, having event, a lot of output, I've been spending many yeah. moments enjoying a kind of process of, of turning inward, of finding stillness and regrounding myself. So 
that's how I'm really on my way to grounding in the beautiful nature of solitude. <laughs> I love that. You know, it leads me to ask you this, right? Like we can go from accomplishment to accomplishment without celebrating or without just taking that pause. So how do we do that? And I'm guilty, by the way, totally guilty. 100%. I mean, I think I've spent decades or I know I've spent decades of my life seeking what the next, whether it was an accomplishment or just the next to-do list, the next thing yeah. to check off, to get done. And I had, after doing that for decades, I, I came to realize how not only empty did I feel, to speak to your point, mm -hmm. I wasn't pausing to celebrate accomplishments. And to be honest, a lot of the accomplishments that I was seeking weren't even connected to what I now am finding to be my true purpose, my true passion. I was doing things for other reasons, really aimed at, you know, being seen in a way, being acknowledged, being celebrated. Um, and I came to realize how exhausting it is to go from one thing to the other. And I think there's many reasons, of course, that we do it. I think a lot of us get our sense of identity, of validation, much like I did in keeping ourselves moving, doing. I think for a lot of others of us, quite similarly, it, it always having something to focus our attention provides us kind of that focal point of safety where if we pause, we might be met with discomfort, mm. like uncomfortable emotions, uncomfortable thoughts about ourselves. So I think it can be a helpful distraction. Um, but what yeah. I'm coming to realize to kind of come to a conclusion on all of this of how important it is to have not only those moments of pause to replenish our energetic resources, how important it is to acknowledge ourselves and what mm. we've come, what we've done, especially when we're doing things, you know, from that deeper place of, of purpose or of passion. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the things that I've been doing, and I, I, I guess I didn't even realize I was doing it until you just shared this. I think I'm still using personally a sense of like externally getting the acknowledgement, but in a more healthy way. So what I'm referring to is I send voice notes pretty much every day to like my core group of guy friends and just like recapping the day. But as I hear you share this, one thing I'm actually doing is like talking about the wins of the day or talking about the big wins in ways. And uh, you, you brought me to a revelation. So I, I just wanted to say thank you for that. And furthermore, um, I have to let you know, I have both of your books right here next to me. And I just wanted to take a minute. I don't need brownie points. Um, you know, you're already on the show, so I'm not looking for brownie points, but I need to say thank you. Uh, and I mean, I, I don't even want to get emotional, but the I'm a very emotional guy. The work that you are doing is so stupendous. Like I can flip through this book and show you page after page. I have notes. I have papers, exercises, like the whole nine. And I really think I'm a really big believer in giving people, you know, as the kids say these days, they're flowers while they're here and you deserve your flowers for what you're doing in this world. So I wanted to make sure that I was saying thank you uh, for this work. And I, I just, you know, I really wanted you to know that it, it's beautiful work. Well, thank you. I had full body chills on that when you were sharing that and seeing how well used and utilized the book, the concepts and the exercises are within there. And even just thank you. I mean, the fact that we did connect now so early on, what is still so early on in my journey three plus years ago. So thank you for seeing and supporting my vision. Yeah. And I'm really grateful to hear that it's continuing to be of service to you on your journey. I have to ask you, since we connected three years ago, do you ever have moments? I mean, you're a creator, right? Like you're an author, you have content. Like, do you ever look back? And I can say yes to this. Cause like when I look back at old interviews, 
I cringe at myself. Do you ever have those moments as a creator? Oh my gosh. I mean, even hearing you and of course, defining myself as a creator is not something that a decade ago you would have heard me using mm. as a descriptor of me. I, I really thought my creativity ended when I walked out of my last art class in high school, I think it ended up, it ended up being. <laughs> and after really laboring through a dissertation to, to culminate or to get my PhD, which was the longest piece of writing I ever did, I more or less swore off that and <laughs> thought I was just not a writer, right? That was just a hard project for me to complete. I did not have any uh, confidence in my writing abilities. So saying that to say all aspects of now embodying what I truly believe is inherent to each of us, our kind of unique creativity. So stepping back into that role and then mm -hmm. doing so, so publicly for me, while so much of the way that I've achieved for so long was aimed at you know, securing the connection of, of my mom, my primary caregiver in childhood. And, and typically what that looked like is I got very attuned and aware very early of the things that I was good at. And I would continue mm. to do the things that I was good at to be celebrated and validated. And as soon as I noticed that I was struggling with something or something that didn't come easy to me, I would quit. I would be like, okay, well, this isn't for me and back to the lanes in which I know I can excel. So sharing that to say so much of putting myself out as a creator publicly, while there is so a little part inside of me that desperately wants to be seen for just expressing my thoughts and ideas and perspectives, there's equally a little part of me that feels so vulnerable in doing that. And in, yeah. on top of that, learning to speak on camera, which in the beginning, if I cringe looking at my interviews, I mean, I'm talking a mile a minute, my hands are flailing all over the place. <laughs> all of my anxiety is just right an embodiment of display. And I'm probably making people that are listening really anxious in doing so. So the simple answer is yes, um, this whole shift in terms of my own healing journey of stepping back into myself, of learning how to be secure enough in my thoughts and ideas that I can present it publicly, learning how to do new things in front of the public eye has all been really a trip, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, this is why I love podcasting, because of how organic it is. I didn't mean for this to connect, but I'm a part of your community. And uh, there was a, a workshop hosted, you know, you mentioned art class. And I don't quote me on who it was, forgive me for not remembering her name, but she brought us through an exercise, an artistic exercise where we were to close our eyes, have a piece of paper and a pen or whatever your writing utensil was and draw certain things without looking. And I think that was one, I, I literally, I have a, a folder literally next to me of all things I do in therapy. To me, that's a form of therapy, right? So whether I'm working with my psychotherapist or something like that in a community, and what a beautiful exercise that was to close your eyes, which in my eyes, that meant removing the expectation of some sort of outcome. I love doing that. Like, like what do you feel about that? What, what do you think that particular exercise means? Am I on point with that? That I think it was Kara. The, the playful warrior. And there you go. I, I yes. met her work very early on. Actually, we started our Instagram journey at, uh, more or less around the same time. So I've been following her. And at one point we connected and she reached out and offered me one of those play sessions, she calls them individually. Mm. So that was the first time that I was offered this exercise. And I was very honestly challenged by it for two um, different reasons, because I think it brings up two different layers of our experience. And going back to kind of connected to what you're saying here, Matt, which is that 
it's really an embodiment exercise, right? When I shut my eyes, whether I'm meditating or taking a moment in just my own internal world, or, you know, I have a pen or a utensil in hand and I'm creating something externally without that visual, right? Kind of uh, feedback to see what my hands doing or the visual yeah. feedback of distractions in my environment. If I'm taking that moment of solitude, what I'm really met with is the embodiment of myself in that, in that moment. So in the mm -hmm. example of drawing, right, being in my body, feeling the utensil in my hand, feeling for the paper, feeling my, you know, fingers tense and release as I'm drawing, whatever it is. And I'm feeling, if you will, in that moment from the inside. And then the extension yeah. of that is it removes the ability to go into that external observer, observer mode where many of us spend our time and then look at the product itself and yeah. begin to judge. So explaining that because on both levels, I am continuing, as many of us are, to be a work in progress in terms of learning how to be in my body, not just externally looking at my body or hearing feedback about my body from someone else. What does it feel like being in? my body mm -hmm. and then more so because i am someone who's very much achievement driven which i think for a lot of us comes with the kind of perfectionistic right looking at the the product the output and criticizing and judging and worrying about what other people will think of it i'm very challenged put for that extent of it too um whenever i yeah. go to create art blindfolded or or visually uh seeing the art there's that part of my conditioned brain that automatically goes into judgment and then sometimes yeah. might restrict or constrict or result in me abandoning the activity in and of itself <laughs> yeah i'm curious to learn how you use something like your drive to achieve in a healthy way where you are today right because one thing that i've been learning just in general not even just about myself is like these things aren't necessarily bad or good those are just merely labels we put on them in ways they show up so how have you personally shifted to achieve in a maybe more quote-unquote balanced or healthy way i think this beautifully goes back to as the introduction asking me how i'm doing for me it's so foundationally important to be in connection with mm. my body, regardless of who wants what of me, of what opportunity is even available that I may or may not be interested in doing, really from the moment I wake up in the morning, keeping myself foundationally connected to my physical body, to its energetic mm. needs, to its limits in terms of resources. Because what I have learned is that the achievement that I used to do wasn't, as I said earlier, coming from that purposeful, passionate, internal yeah. reservoir of desire, right? I'm interested in this. I'm curious about it. I'm interested in it. I want to do it. And I have the energy to. It was mm. coming from this very conditioned way, as I shared, that I had learned to gain value, to gain a sense of worthiness. And with kind of the internal uh, construction, right, going back to saying, okay, I don't have to achieve just because it's offered to me. I don't have to do something because someone else wants to. I don't have to do something because I want to if I don't have the resources in that moment. Because yeah. I believe it's only when we're in that energetic alignment, right, when our needs are being met, so our nervous system feels grounded and at ease, that we can really tap into that deeper kind of sense of, of purpose and passion. So for me, it's that connection, which then offers opportunities for me to say and get really clear on 
things that I'm interested in, right? Endless opportunities are offered to me and taking that moment saying, is this really aligned? Is this something that I feel strongly about? And do I have the space in my schedule, the energetic resources, the tools, if you will, to execute? And when both of those things then are a yes, right, then I accept the project, I create the thing. And so for me, even just sharing where I am in a moment of time now, it's, it's, really, again, going inward, replenishing those resources so that I could get really clear and in alignment with what it is that will come next for right. me, even though I could have immediately gone into, oh, well, here's the next project. Here's the next thing I'm even interested in doing. Let me just go execute it. Understanding that there are moments like now where I do need to replenish so that then when the time is ready, I will be able to serve in the way that I want. You beat me to my next question. I was going to ask you if there were like a set of questions that you ask yourself before pursuing an endeavor and you, you you provided that so i really appreciate that i think that's super helpful and actionable to everyone that tunes into this so i'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball here um i'm curious to learn knowing i mean i've saw you on so many podcasts especially for the press run and i'm sure you get them in the community and beyond but what's a question you wish more people would ask you and how would you answer that oh really interesting question matt what is a question that i wish people would ask me more of hmm. It's interesting because I do get a lot of different types of questions from content based to, to personal sure. type questions. And as, as, as I'm sure, you know, by now I'm very open in terms of sharing my, my personal side of, of the yeah. journey. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure actually I have to think on this one a little more of, of what would be of interest to me uh, to chat. Yeah, we, about. we could let it marinate, but I always put it out there. I mean, I feel like it's almost our job as a podcaster, right? To make sure that we cover all the angles. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to work on. And I, I think it's as a podcaster, you work on it like without even trying, right? Just seeing the world differently. Um, you know, I always use the example that you and I could be walking down the street right now and see a pit bull and I run the opposite way and you run toward that pit bull. And it's because, hey, that's just what our experiences have, um, you know, shown us in life. So uh, I'm trying to shift out of my paradigm by by asking that type of question, but we'll let that one marinate. Um, I want to touch on the book. Um, this is such a powerful book to dive into, How to Be the Love That You Seek. Firstly, I want to ask you from a male perspective, how have men in your community been or over the course of the, your years doing this, how have you seen men start to shift, right? Like, have you seen an increase in men joining the community? Have you seen uh, the DMs or the followers with more men in them? I'm really curious to dive into it from that perspective. I, I really appreciate that, this questioning. And I do think from the kind of initiation or the beginning of the account, very consistently over now the what four plus years that, that the account's been live and then the membership mm -hmm. three plus years there's been a steady increase in the percentage almost a leveling out in the beginning it was predominantly female-based community but over over the years there's been um more more men more men joining the community yeah. more men that i'm connecting with in podcast opportunities or who have their own community that are that is more male-centric uh, i think that you know generally speaking i think it, it kind of mirrors just the trajectory of growth that all of the communities mm. continue to see i think that globally you know both genders you know all, all individuals are really opening opening their eyes to new information 
you know, kind of beginning their own awakenings. And so I think that a lot of that is reflected in just the continued growth of the communities with more and more people being of interest in these conversations and in having these conversations more publicly and vulnerably. Um, And I just, I celebrate, you know, the continued increase in, in especially men, because I think there's so much of the conditioning that obviously I can't relate to not being raised, you know, in the, in the male gender, but I think so much of it has compromised or created patterns of suppressing a lot of these important conversations, more so important communities for men to have mm-hmm. access to where even, you know, individual males who are getting more comfortable with sharing their emotions, I think. So even hearing you sharing with your, your friends, like these voice notes at the end of every day, I had a, a big smile yeah. inside when you were sharing that, because I just think that's so refreshing is mm. all individuals really learning how to embrace not only themselves, but doing so in those authentic groups or communities is so, I think, universally important for all of us humans. Yeah, it is. I remember the first time I started therapy, I I think I was 27, I'm 30 now, and just like the weight that I felt lifted off my shoulder for sharing the things that I've never shared before, Yeah. right? Like I, I would finish a session and I would walk outside just to like process and like go for, you know, a mile walk, go back home, get back into my work. And you would just like literally feel your shoulders drop. Like it, it, it was really so nice to experience that. And yeah, I was just curious to see like what you see from men. I know that obviously you're spearheading this initiative. And when I pick up your books, like you've prompted me to do so many things in maybe not direct ways, but like, for example, I've never had a conversation with my dad about how I wished he would have raised me. You know, like something like that. Like, do I, am I grateful that I have a father? Absolutely. But, you know, it was our relationship was, hey, what was I doing on the baseball diamond? Did I have a good game pitching? How did I do at the plate? Uh, What did I do on the court? Um, You know, what's going on in sports? You know, and it was like, hey, dude, like we never had a conversation about sex. We never had a conversation about money. We never had a conversation about dating. So one of the things that your book prompted me to do And again, I don't even think so directly, but I still don't feel like I have the courage to have that conversation face to face. So what I did, I just wrote a letter. Mm -hmm. I never even gave him the letter. But, you know, little starts like that, I think seeing men make those shifts, it's such a beautiful thing and it's so necessary, you know, and uh, I love that you're contributing to that tremendously. Well, thank you for sharing um, that aspect of your journey, Matt. I think it's so inspirational. And even your illustration of, right, I came out of therapy and my weight and my shoulders Right. Kind of, mm-hmm. I felt that relief in my body. And I just want to continue to emphasize so many of us have these deep rooted beliefs, habitual ways of being, right, that then create our external reality and our relationships or, or whatever it is around us. And we're not aware of how deep rooted those beliefs are impacting our mm-hmm. physical self. And I think when we really understand the, the body's role in our, life experience really to just really Mm -hmm. generalize it, you know, as much as I do believe is, is appropriate to do so. Um, I, I truly believe that's where healing begins because so many of us have these emotions, these beliefs, these aspects of ourself quite literally pent up or suppressed in our bodies. And we don't yet know, I did not know even coming through a clinical training system to become a, you know, clinical psychologist. I did not know how foundational and impactful the body is. All of those suppressed emotions 
those areas of constriction, right? As evidence, I think by a lot of us having our shoulders up to our ears, all this tension is yeah. sending signals that is going to impact the way our mind is interpreting, constructing and creating the outcomes or essentially the choices that we're making each and every day. And so for me, that was the biggest missing piece of the journey is learning, mm. especially when I think about a male population, right? Learning how to be with our emotions, not understanding them intellectually or solving the problem of them or right, using our energy to just ignore them completely and keep barreling forward, which I do think are a lot of the habitual ways that men in particular have learned to cope right, to not be vulnerable, yeah. to not be weak, to be a provider, all of these things that I do think were embedded in the messaging and the experience that, that many of you might have had that then, right, just keep us constricted, keep us playing roles, keep us endlessly exhausted as, as we've been talking about. And I think when we marry those two levels of, of work, right, knowing, having insight, having awareness, and really having those outputs, whether it's a therapist like you shared or the community or the, the art or the movement and really learning how to be in our emotions, I believe mm -hmm. creates the most incredible transformation. It, you know, you lead me to ask this question and it might be a big question. So forgive me for that. But I had an individual, a client of mine the other day, who's a, a rather well-known therapist who works specifically with couples. And he said, Matt, one of my goals is to help people make heart change and not just head change. And I resonated with that so freaking strongly because there were times when I just started therapy where I felt like I was getting smarter, but I wasn't feeling it in my heart. Meaning like, I mean, this is the wrong thing to say, but I'll admit it. Like, I almost felt like I could be someone else's therapist to an extent because I, I started to learn, like, about psychology through my own workings. And I was like, how do we create that heart change versus just the head change? I'm not saying the head change is a bad thing. Like, I, I'm glad that I have that knowledge. But how do we make that change in the heart? I'm smiling. I think that, and then again, I'll just speak from my own lived experience it is not surprising or a coincidence, I'll put it this way, that I ended up being a psychologist, mm. being the person in the room whose task was to help someone else understand themselves. Because in the practice of doing that, I was gifted with an opportunity, however many hours a day that I had clients that day, to be outside of myself yeah. in a sense. Yes, I was connected to my body and I could attune to different sensations in that moment, but I wasn't necessarily focusing on me, my life, what else was mm. happening outside of the room. And so saying that to say, I think the tendency to live in our mind, even to intellectualize, solve problems, become super hyper self-aware, which 100% has benefit, I will always kind of break down change into two really simplified steps with that being the first step become aware become conscious become present to the mm -hmm. habits and patterns right the internal dialogues the emotional sensations in our body the habitual ways that we cope with both of those things awareness builds the foundation for that second step which is new action then to use mm -hmm. this beautiful example of becoming more connected with my body with my heart because i do think a lot of us we have used as a coping mechanism or have learned to use our mind, this very powerful mental world that we can spend endless amounts of time in any given day as a safe 
distance, a distraction from what's going actually on in our in our right. bodies. So I think taking those moments throughout our day to shift focus, it could be even as simple as first noticing when your attention is either distracted externally with all the endless mm -hmm. happenings around you or even internally, right? Getting caught up in overanalyzing yourself or in worrying about a future, you know, problem or concern or rehashing a past argument and determining what you could have said differently or better this next time, right? And in that moment, making the most empowered choice that we can make, which is coming into contact with the sensations that are present in my body. Because as I get yeah. more present to my body, I can become more presently aware of all of those moments of stress, of dysregulation, of that condition patterning, the habitual way I will cope with that. So that again, bringing this full circle, I can become more grounded. I can mm. actually attune to those deeper wants and needs and moments of purpose and moments of passion and make choices based on that deeper space. Because what many of us are, are habitually doing is we're relying on our habitual habits that have always created safety, but they're not actually coming, because this is a question I get asked very frequently, from our intuition. Yes, we're feeling pings mm. of fear. We're saying immediately outside of our awareness, there's an uncomfortable sensation. So we go to our mind to overanalyze or become hyper, you know, attentive to someone else or something else, not understanding that that's not our intuition, that what has happened there is our habitual pattern of how we deal with that upset that we haven't actually learned to be present with. So again, just continuing to highlight focus on the body. When we become more present to our body, then we can become more heart-centered. We can explore what our purpose and passion and our deep, deep wants and desires may be but it's again, mm. kind of like a peeling of an onion versus a kind of concrete three steps to know, right? What's intuitive, what's conditioned. It's really yeah. becoming first intimately in contact with our physical body and that sensor, and then peeling back all of the layers of conditioned habits. And then we can start to, I think, lead from that most powerful place of our heart. For sure. You know, I, I believe you had a conversation with Dr. Russell Kennedy, correct? Did yes. I see something like that? Yeah, yeah. He was talking about this too. We ha we had him on the show a little while back, and um, you lead me to ask you if someone's listening to this right now and they want to start to operate in the sense in which you're talking about, but they almost feel like their head is chopped off, <laughs> and th it's two different things: <laughs> head, body. There, there's a big black gap there, uh, big space, gray space. What is the process of reconnecting that so that we can flow or have our attention flow from up here back into here? The first step, and I think it's a step, step worth celebrating when we notice that there's that disconnect that mm -hmm. we're living. I used to call it my spaceship where I was kind of at the command center, my body was going through all of the motions of life, but it did feel like this presence that you're talking about, this blank space was away somewhere else, hovering yeah. above on a spaceship. And that is that first step of awareness. It's important mm. to note, right, how disconnected we are from our bodies. So then we can create a daily commitment or a consistent action of reconnecting, take that second mm. step of making that intentional choice. And that first step is pivotally important that we also don't shame the fact that we can't yet attune to our physical sensations. Because as I've been describing, that has been a protective space for us to be disconnected, that is. Because I think in that area of awareness, we do shame ourselves. We do think, well, I should be 
able to reconnect with my body and what's wrong with me and maybe I'm broken and right all of this endless criticism when then we notice and now we have that opportunity to create an intentional action it really is about unhooking our awareness or our, our attention from wherever it else it might be because this is I think another expectation or confusion that people have oh I need to become present to my body so my thoughts mm. aren't going to happen just need to stop can stop and the reality of it is that's that's not the case we have right. to learn how to powerfully make that choice of saying yes thoughts are running through my mind right now right my attention is distracted somewhere else on that spaceship wherever else that it used it's used to going but i am the person who can choose right i am the awareness that gets to say i don't want to be paying attention to that space anymore and then we can rehook our attention on our body and it will take us exploring whether mm. our breath right the fact that we are always breathing that in breath that out breath for some of us that can be the hook of attention right let me just attune to the sensations how my rib cage or my chest or my belly feels as i'm inhaling and exhaling this oxygen others might you know have more benefit by doing a kind of grounding attention practice which can look like let me unhook my attention and rehook it on the feeling of my body being supported whether i'm on a walk and i can really focus on my heels and my muscles as they're walking me upon the earth maybe i'm sitting in a chair and i can focus on how my thighs and my back feel supported again if i'm laying really feeling the support of my whole body on the ground or on the bed right those are two different areas and what we're looking for a focus on is not the narration or the judgment of what i'm noticing it is what are those sensations am i noticing mm. areas of constriction of ease am i noticing any any temperature based sensations a heat a coolness right can i feel my muscles working can i feel that relaxed ease with where around those areas of support and then the more i practice that continuing to emphasize the practice piece because again the thoughts are going to continue to happen Sure. giving me another opportunity to reconnect i might begin to overanalyze or judge what i'm noticing in terms of sensation but the focus and the emphasis we want to put on the practice is on the sensation less about even determining the right word or accurate description of the sensation and more about just being in our sensory body having mm. that kind of more physical or visceral moment i'm so glad you emphasized the word practice because it's so easy to want to do things perfectly immediately. Right? Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I felt that right away, literally right away. Um, going backwards, like sticking on the conversation of men specifically, I'm curious to know if you feel like there is something men can do in a heterosexual relationship to help women feel safe enough for us to be our vulnerable form and remove the masks. I think safety, and this is one of my hopeful takeaways, or what I hope is a, is a major takeaway of this new book. Yeah. I think a lot of us as adults, you know, gender aside, need to relearn a new definition of what safety is. Mm. Safety and the security in a relationship Right, both individual and in that relational space is, is really just simply it's a, a grounded state of presence the ability to feel safe to feel at ease in whatever's happening or present to us in the moment to share our perspectives to share our emotions to 
be on the receiving and giving end of support, one of the major values and reasons we need relationship and and simply like you're beautifully saying that to be ourselves, right? To take off that mm -hmm. mask, to just let it all hang out, if you will. And that is a kind of grounded state of presence, which means the safety just as much as to share the beautiful aspects of ourselves, to share the more difficult, the more upsetting, to have the more yeah. difficult conversations. And I think either individual to create that safety in our relationships, as the book begins, it really needs to begin foundationally within ourselves. Right. So mm -hmm. for all the men out there listening, becoming and creating the space in your own individual life to be a safe presence for your own perspectives, for your own emotions, like we were sharing earlier, right? Allowing yourself to be with whatever it is and allow your shoulders and at ease and your presence to be within which whatever is is there for you. So mm. when that safety happens and we can feel okay to be with our sadness, to be with our anger, to communicate that, to share our perspectives, to share our wants and our needs and to be ourselves. Right, then we can extend that safety to those around us, right? We can receive other people. And this is, I think, where even the many of us that are on our individual journeys will still, and this is a, a major, it was a major um, purpose of my book or reason why the book on relationships came next is I think a lot of us will continue to see these struggles in our relationships, right? We feel safe to some extent within our own self and our own mind. And when present, to or offered a differing perspective, different emotions. Like you're saying, having this moment of the pit bull and having a partner, a loved one who you know and is having a completely different experience to life right. in that moment than you are, who might be having opposing wants or needs and desires mm -hmm. for the future, right? That's when I think some of us shift back into not being that safe presence, having that immediate reaction mm -hmm to that difference of opinion, of desire, of emotion, or whatever it is in that moment. So it really is an embodied practice, teaching yeah. ourselves how to be safe enough within our own presence, and then teaching ourselves how to be that safe space. Because I do get a lot of type of questions of, well, how do I get someone else to open up to me? How do I get them to be who they are? Sure. And then so I can be myself and vice versa. And I do believe that begins, right? Not with getting anyone or saying the right thing or prompting in the right way, it's actually an energetic communication where you are so mm. authentically yourself. And then when faced with even difficult conversations, instead of becoming reactive, we can stay within our grounded presence, being curious about why there's differences there, negotiate for a future that takes into, in, to, takes into consideration both of our wants and desires or best interests. So safety, again, is really an embodied practice that yeah. I do believe begins with ourselves as individuals. And then we extend to those around us so that both we can be ourselves and so that they can be our, their, themselves. How much does proximity play into something like safety? And what I mean by that, for example, is if I'm in a relationship with someone and I come into this relationship with the mask off uh, and maybe they have the mask on or vice versa, of course, how much does proximity play into, and maybe this is very individualistic based on a relationship. I'm sure there's so many different dynamics here, but almost like a leading by example thing. Does that have any play in this? I think that the most impactful way that we can inspire someone to change is by modeling or by leading okay. yeah. by example. Um, because I do believe some of us try to, we make an attempt at 
coercing, it's threatening, it's demanding, right? Under this belief mm -hmm. that we can change someone else, right? We can mm -hmm. lecture them on how important it is to be themselves and how much we want to know themselves. That just like in childhood is going to be much less impactful, right? What parents say impacts less than what they do, what is mm. seen and how the person is experienced then in relationship. So I think leading by example, right? Being authentically, transparently who each of us are in relationship, of course, in some relationship context, because when we're at ease, not only are we modeling that authentic way of being kind of in, in a visual sense of the, of the way, we're doing so in an energetic sense too. We're sending those signals of safety, of ease, of security in ourself that the other individual's nervous system is going to pick up on, which mm -hmm. might then result in them feeling a little more safe, secure, and at ease, which might then allow them to enter into a more authentic expression themselves. So we are sending, yeah. and this is a big point of my book, there's so many signals that we're sending, not just in what we're saying and doing kind of objectively, if you will, mm -hmm. but in the energetic experience that someone can have of us in those moments of expression that I do think might be what inspires either because implicitly the person just feels safer to do or share something around you or they're watching and you're modeling and what they're seeing you create in your life becomes attractive and of interest. And they might, might then begin to lay down their mask or let down their walls, I should say, take off their mask and be able yeah. to embody that, that journey themselves. Yeah, for sure. Is it possible to heal within a relationship from an individualistic perspective? Does it have to happen before? Can it happen during? I believe that healing happens in relationship, beginning first and foremost yeah. within the relationship with ourself, because a big question mm. that would come up often when I started to speak about, you know, I have a book on relationships coming. And when I was promoting the book, a lot of people would ask, well, what if I'm not in a relationship? You know, is this appropriate? Mm. Can I be a benefit for this? Should I wait until I get in a relationship to read it? And my answer always back was a reminder that we are all in relationship with ourselves first and foremost, with all of the Love different that. humans, right, that we interact with on any given basis, even if we're not in yeah. a committed partnership. And then as I was sharing earlier, it is the dynamic patterns, the ways that we've learned to relate that will come up in mm. our relationships. So I believe that healing has to happen. And it's a big reason why I created Self Healer Circle, my, my virtual global community, really emphasizing and understanding myself the importance, right, of the community in which you're a part of, which is so beautiful, the the importance of being around and cultivating and creating individual relationship. Because again, we are always in relationship. It is in relationship where our, our deepest rooted patterns will become present to them. And therefore, to simply answer your question, it, it is only within relationship that true healing can happen. Yeah. This might be a, a cheat code here, but how to be the love you seek how do you become the love you seek? I love it. Cheat code. Um, again, it, it is really, <laughs> truly, as all things, I think I'm endlessly frustrating to many people because there is no simple answer, yeah. right? Being it is the process of, of kind of everything, the themes that have been woven through our, our conversation here today. It's first being present to our embodied self, right? Not just living mm. in our mind, how we think or want things to be really in that state of grounded presence within our, our bodies as well so that we can begin to unpack or peel back those layers of conditioning 
creating that true safety and security within ourselves, which does include nervous system regulation for a lot of us so that we can even explore. I can't tell you how many people, especially as they kind of biologically age, come to the awareness somewhere even quote unquote late in life, if, if you will, that they don't know who they authentically are. Right. Mm. So really creating the safety and the security for that curious exploration, right? Creating space and pause in my day, even as I was sharing when I evaluate what I'm going to do or what I'm not going to do. I mean, that begins foundationally first with my needs. Well, what do I need today? What does my body need? What is it hungry for? Does it need movement? Does it need rest? Right. How is my breathing? Is it indicating any any moments of stress that I can help regulate? And as I create that safety and that security within myself, reconnecting, of course, with my heart, which I've come to learn is the most powerful organ in terms of those signals that I've been referring to, those unseen electromagnetic energetic signals that our nervous system is always sending out. Our heart is sending them out at a much greater distance than even our nervous system. So being the love we seek is really returning, I believe, to that state mm. of wholeness, the safety and the security where we can be in our own presence regardless of what we're present to, which then will allow us to be curious and connect with different other individuals, to join together in not only safety and the support, but in collaborative action, which is really how we were wired um, to be. And I think that is then how we extend being the love we seek to all of those around us with whom we're in relationship because we do become a sensor of, yeah. of safety, of security that can have such great impacts on all of those that we'll interact with. I love that. The homecoming. Um, in the subtitle of your book, the last part, Heal Your Relationships, I'm curious from your experience if you see any commonalities and or differences between men and women in regards to what they do need to heal. That's an interesting question. I think commonality, I think is, I think in, in a lot of ways, humanity, each of us unique individuals are, are more similar than I think that we are dissimilar. Yeah. And I think to heal our relationships, the number one universal similarity that joins us all together is learning how to be not just self-aware, I do think, mm. especially with somewhat of, you know, access and, you know, uh, resources that people can, can allot to kind of these more kind of self-awareness endeavors like therapy, like self-help. I do think that people are awakening in that, in that realm as, as we were sharing earlier. But I think the embodiment of being in, an, in a relationship joins us all together because I think very few of us mm. have been modeled from the caregiver's to which you know, we, we were born to, very few of us have been modeled true emotional resilience or really simply the ability to be with and navigate our emotional experiences. And when we can't do that and we do all of these other habitual things that we've kind of been referencing throughout, right? We distract ourselves yeah. with achievement. We live only in our minds, endlessly analyzing, or we suppress so much down because we've learned so many emotions are, are inappropriate or are dangerous or, or whatever. Um, I think so many of us, when we're not attuned to ourself emotionally, the byproduct of that are all of these masks, these conditioned ways, these modified ways of being that ultimately universally all end up with each of us feeling emotionally disconnected in our relationships, not emotionally attuned, not seen right. as the emotional being 
that we are. And I think that spans genders, it spans cultures. Of course, mm-hmm. I think there's individual trajectories, of course, on what led to that. But I think the commonality is to heal our relationships. We need to learn how to be embodied in our emotional self so that we can actually be an emotional, emotionally attuned participant in our relationships. Yeah. Are you familiar with Ricky Williams? He used to play in the NFL, running back, Miami Dolphins. No. He said something on the show and I, I loved it. He was like, Matt. And, you know, from men, a man to man, it's like, dude, I'm in a locker room with 50 plus men, you know, numerous times per week playing in the NFL. When I left the NFL, he goes, one of the things that I realized that a lot of men don't realize, and I'm sure it spans beyond men, is that the greatest gift we have as humans is the ability to feel the ability to feel our emotions, right? And how often do we not feel them for the sake of what you said earlier? It's uncomfortable at times and anything else. And you just reminded me of that. And uh, it's a good reminder for myself because there are definitely times I'm scrolling the phone still and Netflixing and all of those things. So um, I appreciate you bringing me back to that. I I do agree. I think that our emotions are are what gives us our human experience. It really literally colors, it animates yeah. us, it allows us to feel a part of this physical um, you know, environment, really. Yeah. And, and again, I, I do, and I'm happy you, this, you brought that quote up and we're kind of emphasizing this point a little bit because I do think that there are some uh, misinterpretations or expectations that the goal is to become, right? I think this enlightened being that some of us imagine or are in task of, of entering that state, I think a lot of us might have this idea or anticipation or even hope that that means we are peaceful at all times. There is never (laughs) an emotion that we will come in contact with ever again, right? We are kind of like the boot on the hill who never has any disturbance or suffering, (laughs) right? Let alone. Wait, are you telling me, are are you telling me you don't float when you meditate? And, you know, I think that is in all seriousness. (laughs) I think that's a lot of the expectation, right? We do. And we put the pressure on ourselves to be like not bothered ever by anything. And that's just to speak to the point of emotions being a natural part of the human experience. I mean, they're an important part at that. They are messengers. It's important for us to get in in contact with our aggression or with our anger to know when our needs are being unmet or our boundaries are being violated. Mm. Anger isn't just something as and I think this definitely applies to men in particular, isn't just something to be avoided. It's an important mm-hmm. messenger that can be channeled into healthy aggression that can help us actualize the change, the, prote- the protection, the movement that we need. Similar with loss, it points us to things that are important to us, right? Fear shifts us or, or, or urges us to avoid the things that could be threatening. All of these emotions yeah. have such value And I do think that when we have this expectation, not only do we put an unrealistic expectation on ourselves, we close ourselves off from not from having the human experience and from gaining the benefit that these emotions are. But again, this all goes back to kind of the full theme being here. Very few of us as adults have learned to be with our emotions to say, hey, they're not something shameful. This information is here for a reason. It might not objectively map onto what's happening now. It might be a remnant or an emotional memory from my past, though Mm -hmm. I can show up consciously in support of saying, okay, this emotion is a physiological event in my body. And now let me intentionally choose what I'm going to do with this information, whether it's, oh, okay, this is a remnant of the past. So I can kind of refrain. This is not what's happening now. All the same, I can create that safety and security back in my body because that physiological reaction is real. 
That's why shaming doesn't work, right? Just saying, oh, I shouldn't feel this way. Well, my body is having this reaction. So even if it's not objectively what's happening now, it is a remnant of a similar past experience. It's still physiologically real in this moment, right? Mm -hmm. And then if not, if it is an objective marker of, wow, I'm angry because I've just been violated, now I can intentionally, right, not just lose control of my anger and become a reaction where I'm yelling, screaming, punching, hitting, but where I'm consciously and intentionally in control of maybe the fact that I do have to overcome something that's threatening me or remove myself, but I'm doing so in that intentional state of awareness. So again, becoming embodied, I believe that presence to the emotions allows us to then begin the process of creating our ability to tolerate our emotions so that we don't have to just habitually react to them and so that we can show up in that grounded state of presence, take the value and the message that they're giving us and still be in alignment and in control of what we choose to happen next. I love that. One thing that really helped me is keeping the emotion wheel on my phone, like just the picture of the emotion wheel. Um, really to help me identify what it is that I'm truly feeling, right? Because anger is very surface, but what's under that? What's causing that anger? Uh, and it's not to say that I don't get angry. I get angry, you know, like any other person would get angry. Uh, but that was a really, really big help was just keeping that there. And it's like, oh, you know what? I'm really feeling angry because I feel disrespected or I feel this or I feel that. Absolute game changer. Like just being able to identify what it is, yes. right? I think and that I- was cool. I think that's a beautiful step to take after there's been a slight pause, because I think Mm. this is another area where we can overstep the senses, the sensations, right? The visceral, the embodied or the somatic experience and just try to hyper analyze. Well, what is this feeling? Is it that feeling? Is it this feeling? Let me make sure it's the perfect word. And so just (laughs) offering the the caveat here being beautiful step once you've just taken a moment and said, before I know what it is, what does it feel like? Does it feel like a sickness in my stomach? Does it feel like a coldness in my hands? Does it feel like a a tingling or a pressure in my chest, right? Just giving some and the kind of possible sensations, but of course, opening to exploration and then popping up that phone, beautiful, right? Looking at the feeling wheel, really exploring that. Feelings sometimes do cover other feelings, feelings that might be safer or more appropriate, right? If we've learned that anger is beneficial, right? Don't be weak, be angry instead, then we might immediately go to anger instead of deep sadness or loss that's Mm. beneath the anger because that's what's been deemed as socially appropriate and validated likely in our individual experience. But the caveat again being make sure that we're also taking a moment of space Because again, the perfectionist in many of us, the overachiever, the person who is on very much a well-meaning journey of self-awareness might labor too much in giving it the right word and might Mm. then bypass what it feels like. So what it feels like is just as important as the perfect label to give it. And I do think it can give us another set of understanding as we do get down to those deeper core emotions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, when someone picks up this book, which by the way, it's going to be linked in the show notes of this episode, YouTube, all of that good stuff. When someone picks up this book, if they could only take one thing away from it, what do you want that one thing to be? I think my number one takeaway would be um, the piece of information that I hope gets embodied into a practice um, in terms of how impactful we are and can be in our relationships because Mm. it is 
those past earliest models of relating that drive so many of us into recreating, repeating, always picking the same partner, always showing up in the same ways, continuing to always feel the same way with unmet needs, and then trying to find the more perfect person that, you know, absolves us of this deep feeling. And as we become a more empowered participant, I think that would be the takeaway, right? Not only becoming aware of all the different ways that we are recreating our past pain, really, in a, in a very mm. sense of the word, and then allowing us, and throughout the book are many different, as all my work offers, embodiment type practices in terms of how to begin to inhabit that space of awareness, beginning to see yeah. the patterns that are driving our actions as individuals in terms of the life we're creating in our relationships in particular, because I do believe so many of us, as I once did, we, we feel helpless and powerless within our relationships. We feel at, broken at our core, intrinsically flawed, unlovable, unworthy, right? We, we don't feel, we do feel maybe that the people that we're picking are always causing us the suffering and we don't feel like we mm. have any control over picking them or what they ultimately do in the relationship. Some of us feel even helpless to leave problematic, dysfunctional, even abusive relationships. So understanding again that we can always in, enter that empowered space, of course, understanding how to do that will, will be many tools that you meet throughout the book. But that is my number one takeaway with really all of my work. How can I be an I empowered participant in the life that I'm creating participant? Because I do think very few of us feel that. And how can I begin to take those embodied actions? I love that. That is incredible. Again, the link to the book is in the show notes or YouTube description everywhere, as well as um, the workbook. I have the workbook too. I went through that. That was awesome. Uh, and I'll also throw in the community link. Anything else that we should be putting in to make people aware of? I appreciate all of all of those links that are, those are all of the, the places to get more information um, cool. on the new book, the community, of course. Uh, any social media, though, presence, I mean, any social media platform, I should say, that listeners like to consume their content um, we'll have a, a version of the holistic psychologist being the handle. And I definitely suggest if you're not following on your social media of choice, definitely do so. These are conversations and content that are released daily and a really, really growing, beautiful community mm -hmm. where so many members are engaged in the chat. I mean, I've even seen relationships develop between, between, you know, different oh, people awesome. making comments and connecting then outside of, outside of social media. So if you're looking for free, accessible information, of course, you don't have to buy any of my products, my, my membership or my book, though I do appreciate the support. Um, come find the content each and every day on social media. You are super active on social, so that is yes. for sure, without a doubt. Uh, I'm going to try and squeeze two last questions out of you. Um, this one was actually asked to me by Dr. Michael Gervais on the show. And I was like, you know what, dude, I am going to steal this question and ask it to every <laughs> single it. person that hops on after. Um, the question is... How would my life be different if I knew what you know? Or how would, how would our life? Uh, yeah, our yes. community. Yes. I think our community, our species, what did I say, um, would be different if we not only became in that empowered space. I'm going to kind of go off of what I was just talking about a little bit because I do think so many of us feel and react and live in the world in a disempowered way, which creates a lot of suffering for ourselves and other people. And when we become empowered, as we begin to heal, not just our mind, mm -hmm. our body, right? Returning to that, safe, that state of safety and security. I think that our community and our species actually would be greatly different. I'm hopeful at 
the many of us that are embarking on this journey because I think it would allow us to return to our compassionate, caring, heart-centered nature. I mean, it's one of the reasons mm-hmm. why we've not only survived as a species, have been able to you know, proliferate and create the society in which that we are living now. It is really our ability to join together, to simply care about someone else's yeah. interest, you know, outside of our own. That's what allowed us to form those groups. And this is why I'm so inspired um, to continue to put this work out there in all of the ways that I can. And and this book in particular, because it really is the roadmap, not only mm. containing that information, but allowing us to begin that journey. And I do believe it will have societal global impact for all of us. I love that. That is incredible. Last question for you. If you make it to whatever year you want to make it to, release as many books, shift society, change the world with your work, you do it all, but you could only be remembered for one piece of advice. Like this advice is like etched into the tombstone. What piece, what is that piece of advice? I think the the number one piece of advice that I would want to take with me wherever, yeah. wherever we go to next. And I would want to leave for everyone um, that, that stays beyond me is that each of us has the information, the ability, the awareness, the insight to create within us, to know mm. what it is that we want and that we need and that is best for us, and then to actualize on that, on that knowing. I do believe that it comes from within. I do think that there's, and I'm grateful to be a part of a tradition, a lineage, of you, if you will, of information, as I've gained so much information from from books, from, you know, conceptual theorists of people who have, have well gone before. But I do believe it is that journey back within each of ourselves, um, not just to outsource or take that, it, which it is that even I'm telling you or suggesting, mm. suggesting has resonated with me or helped in my journey is to really begin that journey. So I think it would be some version of a statement that the answers and the power lives within each of you. And if, if that is a takeaway that I leave on this, on this earth, on this planet beyond me, I think that I would be very fulfilled. That is a mic drop moment. Dr. Nicole, thank you so much for this opportunity. I truly, truly appreciate it. You are absolutely incredible. And again, links to all of the good stuff, socials, books, workbooks, communities in the show notes. But thank you so much, Dr. Nicole. Of course. Thank you again, Matt, for having me back. And thank you all for listening. You have just tuned into an all new episode of the Decoding Success podcast featuring our friend for round two, Dr. Nicole LaPera. On that note, you can check Dr. Nicole out in the show notes of this episode. Of course, there is going to be the link to the new book, the link to the existing book, the workbooks, the community, the website, the socials, all of that good stuff in the show notes of this episode, putting it back on your mind and on your heart, more importantly, to share this episode with someone that is in your life, with someone that needs to hear what is shared. You are still listening to this episode. I have to make the radical assumption that you found this to be of value, maybe entertaining as well. Whatever the case may be, you are still here with us. Knowing that you're still here with us, I have to put it back on your heart, back on your mind to share this episode with the people that are in your life. Screenshot it, share it on Twitter, share it on Instagram, share it in your group chats, your text messages at the water cooler in your office, but make sure that you are opening the door for someone else to heal here with us a decoding success. Thanks to Dr. Nicole LaPera. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.